I went down to the river to watch the fish swim by. But I got to the river so lonesome I wanted to die. Oh, Lord. And then I jumped in the river, but the doggone river was dry. She's long gone, and now I'm lonesome blue. Hello, and welcome to Long Gone, the podcast. This is Ryan Hetzer, and um, I'm joined today by... My brother Scott, my regular partner. How you doing, Scott? Good. How you doing? Good to be back. <laughs> Good. So it's been an exciting time for the podcast. I mean, um, I really have, uh, with the new Cardinal season approaching, I wanted to really throw all my efforts behind it and see if I could build up a little something. And um, first, I think you know Scott is a big part of that. I want to have someone who I can regularly count on to, to talk about Cardinal baseball throughout the season. Um, and so this is now going to be the third time that we've had the chance to um, do an episode. And so the idea is that we would continue to do that while also supplementing it with guests from other uh, blogs in the Cardinal podcasting community. So recently I've had a number of different guests on with me who are prominently uh, prominent members of the Cardinal blogging and podcasting community. And I've really, really enjoyed those experiences. I've uh, been very humbled and very uh, grateful at the, the willingness for these people to give up their time and, you know, take an hour to chat with me about different things. And, um, and some of those episodes are really great. I encourage you to check them out. I talk with Tara Wellman from birds on the black, Kyle Reese, uh, Daniel Shoptaw, and then also Russ Robinson. Those four folks have all been guests. In the coming week and weeks, I'm already lining up even more interviews and guest appearances from other uh, from other members of the community. So, um, really excited about the podcast. But I thought, you know, today um, I wanted to just kind of take a little bit more of a laid back approach. Uh, some of those other um, shows I've mentioned are, are things where I really want to have some kind of structure to the conversation, some kind of focus to be able to um, let those people, you know, know that we're, you know, focusing on a particular area of Cardinal baseball, a particular area uh, of the 2020 outlook, et cetera. So today with Scott, we're just going to, we're going to kind of kick it around a little bit, um, with with uh, some of the spring storylines that we're most interested in. We're also going to try to have a little bit of time. Um, uh, from the very beginning, I've said that I want the, the podcast to be something that will occasionally stray from just Cardinal baseball. Now, I mean, the large percentage of it, of it is meant for Cardinal baseball, but certainly I enjoy um, you know TV and movies is a big hobby of mine, watch a lot of different things, and then also – uh, gaming, although I really haven't, you know, talked much about any any gaming stuff. But so we're gonna. Uh, a while back, I did a little something where I kind of discussed some of the top TV shows that I felt of all time, and had a little kind of a little uh, scenario where discussed um, some things related to those. And so we're going to touch on that a little bit with Scott today too. Um, Scott, before we get started, what um, 
you know, the, the, I don't want to abandon sort of the inspiration behind the title of the podcast. And, you know, I've, I've asked a couple people, you know, have you ever seen long gone? No, I haven't seen long gone. So it just still seems like, so I'm making it my one man mission to uh, have more people seek this movie out. And I'm going to actually just um, share with you uh, uh, one of my favorite scenes from the movie where uh, the young, kind of the young stud or the young up and coming second baseman just signs his uh, first minor league contract with the club. It's a, it's a minor league story. And um, he comes out of the offices where he had just signed uh, the contract and he asked the main character, he was the player manager, stud Cantrell, which is just, I mean, I can't imagine a better character name, but he asked stud like, you know, Hey stud, did you ever make it to the big leagues? And, um, this story is what follows. So we're going to listen to this here. Hey, Stud, do you ever play in the big leagues? Let me tell you a sad but true story. I was one of the all-time high school phenoms. My senior year, there were so many big league scouts on my daddy's front porch that some bitch collapsed under the weight. <laughs> what happened? Well, the St. Louis Cardinals were first in line, and they signed me. For four years, I knocked their dicks off in the minors. Then the following spring, there was two of us rookies that were going to fight it out for the starting left field job. Me and this fella from Denora, Pennsylvania, who threw left and batted like yeah. peeking around the corner. Stan Musial. Stan the man. Yeah. He had a prettier oh. swing than me, but I hit the ball harder and batted both ways. It would have been a great fight. Thank you, Godly. Wish I'd been there for it. Why weren't you? Ah, the Japs bombed Pearl Harbor, the fuckers. Like an asshole, I joined the Marines. I took so much shrapnel at Guadalcanal, they were going to amputate my leg till I talked them out of it. By 46, my career was down the tubes. All I can tell you, Weeks, is learn a goddamn trade. I never made a kid. But I would have. Goddamn it, I would have. Well, there you go, Scott. What do you think? That's uh, definitely one of the uh, best parts of the movie. Um, I mean, that along with so many others. But, yeah, it's definitely a great part of the movie. I love it. You know, gets the Stan, Stan the Man reference. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a good point in the movie. kind of lets you know uh, Stud Cantrell's background and kind of introduces you how he kind of ended up where he was yeah it's uh it's um it's kind of a it's interesting because i play that scene but it's it's not really indicative of the movie the movie's kind of like fun raucous there's a lot of comedy yeah that's that's uh, like one of the more like kind of serious points of the movie exactly guess, that's so. a bit of a serious point there but i i I've keep wanting to look up if i mean i know obviously stud control is a fictional character but i keep wanting to look up if the story timeline kind of matches up with reality where, you know, with, if, if as usual, was he really a rookie sort of right before the 19, you know, 1941 when the, when that happened, I don't know. I might, while we're talking, I might look up baseballreference.com and just take a look at Stan Musial. But anyway, um, let's, let's get rolling um, here. And, and really, I don't know where this conversation is going to take us. What, what I want um to start out with, I'm going to put you on the spot and you can certainly throw out, you know, two or three different things. 
that we could then kick around. But what I want you to give me is basically just Scott Hetzer. What are the, you know, when you kind of pay attention to the spring schedule and the different stories coming out of spring training and leading up to opening day, what are you most interested in? What, what kind of things intrigue you most for this 2020 campaign about to start? Um, well, before I hit that, I just did a quick search. Okay. And uh, Stan the Man's rookie year was 1941. I'll be darned. So, yeah, there is he some. Was, he was uh, 20 years old. Wow. Didn't, didn't uh, I think 49 of plate appearances, but, it, you know, 426. So. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's, uh, uh, after, there's some. After that year, he definitely uh, definitely got uh, more more playing time. So yeah, it was 1941. So there's some historical accuracy then there. That's that even makes me appreciate the movie even more. <laughs> um, so uh, this year, I mean, there's so many different ones. Um, obviously, the offense is the biggest one. I I just don't see how the offense is improved unless there's there's just too many ifs, buts, um, what ifs. You know, what if Carpenter comes back? What if Dexter Fowler, you know, has a good season. What if, you know, some of these young guys like Tyler O'Neill and, you know, well, yeah, I mean, if, if all those things come together and they all have great years, well, of course, yeah, the offense is going to be better and um, they're going to be very successful. But I don't know how you can go from looking at the Cardinals last year and those players and the unproven players and think that they're going to, be better or I mean yeah. it's, it's obvious the strength of this team is the pitching um, but man I, I just I don't know if they can hit and uh, so I mean you go from there so then you're talking about as I said uh, some of those players you know starting outfielder jobs can Harrison Bader you know be not hit 200 or under 200 can he remain in the lineup you know can how long are the Cardinals going to give of the leash of Carpenter and Fowler? I'm sure it's going to be longer than most just because of what they get paid. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not so much uh, pitching question marks uh, this year. It's, it's everything revolves around the offense and what this offense can do and um, how they can, you know, be better than last year, which yeah. I don't, it's going to be hard to do. Well, I think that's fair uh, for sure. And I don't, know that that's going to be solved in the spring but absolutely I mean it's it's very uh when you you think about the last year's team which one on pitching they were in the bottom half of all of major league baseball so I mean when we say bottom half we're talking somewhere between you know ranked let's say 16th to 30th in almost every offensive category you can think of and so they were not a very good offensive team last year. Then you let your cleanup hitter, you know, go ahead and sign elsewhere, which I, I'm not, I'm not have a huge problem with letting Ozuna walk, but still the fact remains. And, um, yeah, you know, so then it's like, well, and, and they didn't really make any other notable additions and, you know, even including this uh, utility player they signed this past week there were really no notable additions and um so to think about you know what is this offense going to be and you're right uh, you could go to just about every position and there's sort of like this hope uh, attached to it I mean or 
or some other circumstance in some way. And it's like, like you said, it's almost, it feels like there's too many if, ands, or buts. Molina is, you know, how long can he fight father time? And I mean, even his offensive numbers last year were down. Goldschmidt, you know, he's, he's come out and even said it. I mean, it was his overall, probably his worst offensive year. Can he, can he uh, bounce back a bit? Um, even, you know, Colton Long, a lot of people like to just take him for granted, but he really had a great second half. And previously in his career, he's, he's you know, bumped up and down a little bit in terms of his uh, hitting approach. Paul DeYoung is another where had a really good month or two months last year, and then he had very, very poor stretches of the season where he just can't seem to do much of anything striking out. I understand he hit 30 home runs. But there were a lot of pockets of time throughout the season where he just was not producing. And I won't even keep going, but you're right. Um, you well, go- and also you, I mean, yeah. you asked about spring training and what you're you know, looking for. Yeah. And so a lot of that stuff that we just talked about is just going to be stuff that's going to be, you know, more seen in season. Sure. Um, if you're looking for, you know, spring training storylines, I mean, I guess you're kind of looking at maybe like, you know, what happens with Carlos Martinez? Can he, you know, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to remain the closer? Um, you know, uh, Alex Reyes, how does he look coming back from injury? Um, you know, how does, I know Libertor is not going to be with the, the big club this year, I wouldn't think. But, you know, just he, he's a newly required yeah. high-end prospect that he got from the trade. So it's kind of interesting to see how he looks. Um the other guy, you know, obviously that everybody keeps talking about that, you know, if this if this offense is in trouble and they do need um, offensive help, you know, you got the top prospect of Dylan Carlson. So yeah. it's kind of interesting to see how he does, if maybe he can make the big club or if he just has a great uh, uh, spring training and he's kind of right on that cusp of, hey, man, if something happens to an outfielder or if the offense is looking bad after the first month or two, then – you know, when is, when is Carlson going to come up and uh, try to help this team out? So yeah. those are kind of some of them, you know, maybe if quote-unquote storylines uh, as opposed to just overall worries of the season. Sure, I think you hit on some major ones. Um, and we can we can try to dig a little deeper as we go along. But, I mean, no, those, I think you've identified what a lot of Cardinal fans will be looking at. And so maybe we can – give our takes on some of these, but I think first, uh, Carlos Martinez, I just think his value or his, what he means just cannot be overstated. Um, and, and having these podcasts recently that I've, rec- that I've done, um, they're Dan- Daniel Shoptaw and, uh, Kyle Reese. When I asked them, you know, what, what? spring storylines are you interested in? Uh, looking at, I mean, right away, Carlos Martinez was the first thing that both of them said. Um, so, you know, because for a three-year period, you know, Carlos Martinez was one of the, you know, statistically one of the top five to ten starters in the National League. And so um, if he can get some of that back, or most of that back, then you're looking at, uh, you know, a one-two punch in the rotation with Flaherty that's just 
Um, you know, it could be one of the top one-two punches in the National League. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think Dylan Carlson and, you know, what he's going to do with some of the at-bats he gets, uh, that's certainly something that a lot of people will be keeping a close eye on. Um, and and then, you know, so on down the line. Alex Reyes, I want to – what – you know, it's been such a – such a uh, odyssey with him. What, what kind of, you know, and I've listened to a lot of people talk about him and people are all over the map. You know, I hear some people kind of, you know, already again, getting excited about him and, Oh, wow. What could, and then I hear some people say like, you know, Hey, don't, don't even talk to me about him until he's standing on the mound at Bush stadium, you know, in a Cardinal uniform, making a, an appearance. Where, where, where do you kind of fall on Alex Reyes? Well, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's, he's been out for, what, three seasons in a row? I mean, he's been the top, uh, top, one of the top talked about Cardinal prospects, you know, that he's this, you know, can't miss prospect, but he's been hurt. So I don't know how you can rely on him. I mean, yeah, it would be a, it would be definitely, a, you know, uh, ace in the, ace in the pocket that if, if he can, if he can be healthy and, be as dominant as he has looked in his minimal times um, in major leagues and in the minors. You know who, who knows what you can do with him, but yeah, you gotta you gotta play it off as you can't count on Alex Reyes. It's got to be just a you know a, a happy surprise if he is able to be healthy and and pitch. Well, then you know then you can put him in middle relief. You can put him in end of the game. Who knows? I mean, if, the other thing we just we kind of skipped over with um, with uh, Martinez, you know, let's say he gets the starting job and he's healthy and he's going to be the starter. Well, who's going to be your closer then? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a huge huge point right there with Martinez to kind of go back to that. But yeah, no, Alex Reyes, he's obviously super talented. He's got all the attributes. He's got everything that you need for a for a dominant pitcher. Just can he stay healthy? And you know, there's I don't know really how much more you can really talk about with him with yeah. without uh, knowing his health, his health right now. Let's circle back to Martinez. I mean, you made a good point because I I keep wanting to just you know hope for the best in his case and assume that he'll be you know able to stick in that rotation. So in the scenario where he does, yeah, I mean, and it will be partially. Uh, you know, we're kind of focusing on spring storylines, but if Martinez is a starter and then like the question you asked, who's the closer? And I think that is a, could potentially be a spring storyline. I just, um, I, I know that the Cardinals and we've seen it in previous years at times and other clubs will do this. And I can already kind of anticipate the, uh, the story probably coming out in some post-dispatch article in the next couple of weeks, but it'll be, you know, this whole, oh, we think we can do it by committee and we got a lot of guys that we feel can close. We're not worried. But I tell you, it's still the big leagues and almost every team I have seen or followed, they always end up settling upon one guy. I mean, how do you – what's kind of your – when you look at this potential list of relievers, barring, uh, barring Martinez – how do you kind of handicap? How are you kind of looking at the the bullpen, and who who do you think is kind of most likely going to end up in that closer role? I don't know. Um, as I sit right now, 
Um, Gallegos was uh, was pretty good last year. Yeah. Um, I would kind of lean towards him because um, he pitched in some high leverage situations. He was really good last year. Um, let me see. Just kind of looking over the roster a little bit just to kind of refresh my memory as far as possible. Well, while you do that, I mean, I, I, I think. I definitely, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't trust Andrew Miller. I know he's done it before, and that might be, you know, something the cars are like, well, this guy's he's done it before. Let's, you know, give him a chance. But he's obviously, it seems like he's kind of on the back end of his career. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily trust him. I guess out of, out of what they're showing there, I. I'd probably say Gallegos, but yeah. you know. Well, we've uh, we've received from feedback from our own family that you know, hey, guy, we listened to the podcast. You guys would be more interesting if you disagreed once in a while, and you know, I'm sure at some point we might. Uh, but yeah, I mean, actually, that's kind of, I mean, who I would entrust most at this point in time with that role would also be Giovanni Gallegos. I think that. He's proven, as you said, that he's a guy that's already performed very well in, a, in high leverage situations. I mean, he, you look at – he was pretty much – most of his appearances last year were seventh or eighth inning appearances, and um, he had a great year. So when you extrapolate that out and you look at, okay, who who is uh, can be counted on and who can, you know, take those high leverage pressure situations and perform – the guy that's probably done it uh, the most down there is is Gallego. Save Andrew Miller. I mean, I know that he has clothes, but that's the Andrew Miller of four years, yeah, that was the, four that to five was years ago. Andrew, yeah, that was the dominant Andrew Miller that you couldn't you couldn't hit. Yeah, who was throwing ninety seven, ninety eight, and the slider was you know eighty eight, eighty nine, and he's just not that guy anymore. And I think you can still, I mean, yeah, with if you have a left handed. Situation in the ninth inning, a couple, you know, big left-handed bats. I'm sure he'll get occasional chances here and there. But yeah, I think Gallegos. Now there are um, there are some other intriguing options. I think uh, you know a guy like Brebia has been you know solid in the bullpen for a couple of years. So you know we've seen in years past we have had other recent you know teams who closers have stepped up that you you know wouldn't necessarily get you know, overwhelmingly excited about, but they've ended up going out there and doing a good job. I remember, I can't remember what season it was, but there was a guy by the name of Edward Mujica and he was oh, yeah. uh, kind of a journeyman, but ended up, you know, having a pretty good year as a closer. And then you know, going back further than that, there was Ryan Franklin for a couple years there who, you know, he was kind of just a, a veteran bouncing around uh, the major leagues. And then the Cardinals were able to get him as a closer for a while. Um, and he and had some success. So, you know, a guy like Brebia, maybe, I mean, even John Gant, I'm kind of, I'm going to say John Gant. Maybe. Yeah. I'm still, cause you know, you look at last year and what's, what's the real guy, because in the first half people forget he was easily one of the top two most reliable arms down there. And then I think he got overworked and, um, really tailed off towards the end of the season to the point where he was not, he was left off the playoff roster, which could also suggest some kind of, you know, physical issue perhaps as well. But, um, and then now then the other wild card, and I, I know that you saw him pitch last year, but I also know like in terms of prospects and 
what they've accomplished and the way they were seen in the organization, this Ryan Helsley is a dynamic arm. I mean, he gets it up there 97, 98, 99. You almost can kind of see him being uh, sort of like a Trevor Rosenthal or Carlos Martinez in the first year or two of his career as being a potential guy that could could do that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about Helsley for sure. Yeah. Now, um, Matt Carpenter. So, you know, uh, it's always funny. I mean, the, you can you can predict sometimes the different storylines that are going to be coming out um, of spring. And, you know, I've already been looking at and reading some things where he talks about, you know, he well, he's adjusted his swing and – he wants to try to become the hitter he was four or five years ago and, um, you know, saying all the right things. And and then, of course, uh, you know, the Cardinals publicly backing him up. You know, he's our guy. And and I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Carpenter has a bounce back here. I know some people are kind of writing him off. He it was only 2018 in which he was in the top 10 of the MVP, MVP voting. But then there were times last year where he just looked so bad and so lost with his swing where I do understand why some people are kind of, you know, writing him off a bit, especially at his advanced age. But then it's like I think some people attach the contract extension to, to that whole deal too. And it's like, well, he didn't. You know, he didn't make the Cardinals give him a contract extension, so it's not his fault. Uh, so I just kind of where you um, where are you standing on Matt Carpenter as we as we enter twenty twenty? Well, I mean, it'd be kind of hard for him to be any worse than last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, you you would think there would be some you know progression to the mean. You know, he he would yeah. he's going to come back, back up. I, I would yeah. think he's going to have a better year this year than he did last year, but that's not hard to do. Question is, is he going to be, you know, somewhere in the middle from how bad he was last year to you know how good he was a couple of years ago? Is he going to be? It's kind of like that line you just don't know. I, I think he'll be better. Um, I don't think I do think he, he's obviously talented. I mean, he's put up the numbers before. So, uh, but with age, obviously, it's going to dip. It just last year was a colossal dip. Yeah, and. Um, so I would look for him to bounce back a little bit. I think he'll be better. It's just, you know, what, what is that? What is that going to entail? Is that going to yeah. be? Is he going to hit thirty home runs again? Is he going to yeah. hit, you know, well, twenty? Is he going to hit two sixty-five, two seventy, and not, you know, two ten or whatever? So, yeah. I, I think he'll have a bounce back year. But what, you know, what that actually uh, looks like, I don't know. It's just kind of there's a. It's yeah. a big base of, of to go off of what what would be a successful year for Matt Carpenter this year. Yeah, I like I like where you know that the bounce back year concept. You know, like you said, it's yeah, he probably will have what might be considered a bounce back, but bounce back from what and and what does that actually look like? Because I, I think you know with Dexter Fowler, that was a lot of people said De- last year for Dexter Fowler. Oh, it was a bounce back year. Well, yeah, okay, but look how bad 2018 was for Dexter Fowler. So when you actually look at what he did last year, it was league average or slightly below league average. 
uh, outfielder, but yet people want to call it a bounce back year. So it's it's the same logic with Carpenter. I mean, yeah, he may have a better year, but is it really going to be the type of year that you know that would actually you know benefit a division? You know, what will hopefully be a division champion ball club, and that's that's the bigger question. Um, for- well, with with this team, and you're, we've talked about how the offense is, you know, is a big question mark. They're going to need somebody to step up. Yeah. So it's either they're they're either going to need Paul Goldschmidt to have a typical Goldschmidt year, like he has in the past, or um, Paul Young to kind of come into his own after another year, still hit thirty, but maybe show more discipline at the plate, striking out. Um, who's it going to be? Or, or in the case of all these guys, can it be, I mean, if you're looking at if Paulie young, if you, I mean, if you want to look at upside and try to be um, positive about yeah. the whole situation, I mean, if Paulie young is more consistent, keeps his power. Um, if Goldschmidt has a Goldschmidt year and I'd put Tyler O'Neill and, there and, and Matt Carpenter can be, you know, more middle Matt Carpenter, not so bad or so great, but even middle. Yeah. Um, and you got, you know, three guys that kind of put it together. Well, you know, then your offense might not look quite as bad as we're, yeah. as we're forecasting. And then, yeah, like you said, Tyler O'Neill, you don't know what he's going to be. Um, can, can he, is he going to be a platoon situation? Is he, you know, can he hit 25 home runs, 30 home runs? Um, so, I mean, there's all, it's all forecasting, but, we're kind of just going off of past history to predict the future yeah. is why we don't think it looks great, but it's certainly possible that some of these guys do bounce back and have a little bit better years. And therefore the offense might be better than, than we're given a credit, uh, credit yeah. for being one, one final point on Carpenter. And I, I do hope that, and even though I kind of like mocked the, the idea that, Oh, you know, I've changed my swing and so on. And, I, you know, you look at Matt Carpenter's career, and I, I do hope that he, in some way, not not he's probably not going to replicate the numbers, but he had a couple of years in a row, and where I mean, the guy was more of you know hovering around three hundred, and with you know big time double numbers, 45, 50, 55 doubles, and the on base percentage was sky high. I mean. He, that's the Matt Carpenter. That's the hitter that Matt Carpenter is. And I think somehow uh, over the past couple of years, he started kind of, and I don't know if it was him in his own head or, you know, who knows, an agent or if it's a hitting coach that says, hey, you know, I think you can develop more power or I, I don't know. But somewhere along the line, if you look at the progression of his career, his swing, his approach, He's, he's kind of morphed into this guy that's just really looking to drop and drive for home runs. And that was, you know, evident, you know, big time last year. And so if he can kind of get back somehow, you know, like a, a renaissance, a, a bit of a retro look to his approach and to his swing and just let home runs happen. I mean, a Matt Carpenter of, who hits 15 to 20 home runs, but is more up around 300, hitting a lot of doubles, getting on base. That's that's the guy the Cardinals need desperately, not not the one that's going to hit 230, 240, and, and you know maybe hit 25 to 30 homers. Yeah, I totally totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Um, 
let's before we move on to some of the TV stuff. Let's we kind of touched on the pitching staff. We touched on uh, some of the the infield more so than the outfield. I do want to talk about just two more things. I guess one would be would be the outfield, and then also the, the kind of Yadier Molina. Uh, Yadier, let's start with let's start with Yadier real quick. He came out during winter warm up and said he wants to play two more years. And he, but he also said he would not play for any other team but the Cardinals. You've got this, you know, Kisner situation where it's, it's sort of like he's he's ready for the big leagues, but it almost looks like again he'll he'll play um, more than likely play at AAA this year because of the Matt Weeders signing, and you kind of almost understand why they would prefer to have Weeders as a backup over Kisner because then you've got. Kisner kind of just sitting around on the bench most of the time. I, it's it's a complicated situation in some ways, uh, just because Yachty is an all time great Cardinal. I mean, he's one of my favorite players of all time. He's I I love Yachty or Molina, but then at the same time, you know, I really wish they would go to some kind of model where to get the most out of Yachty and to see what Kisner can do. I would like to see them cut Yachty back to around 110 uh, games or so and let Kisner catch, you know, right around 50, give or take. That's what I would really love to see because I think it would maximize Yachty. It would keep him fresh and perhaps get better, you know, pop out of him offensively. And you let this, you know, top young catching prospect really see what he can do and flourish. What? How do you kind of, you know, how do you kind of look at that catching situation? Well, I think Molina's contract is is, uh, is it up after this year? I believe this is his. Yeah, this is the final year of his current contract. So, the way I kind of look at it, it would be, how um, much Kisner was he twenty four, twenty five, something? Yeah, somewhere in that range. He's not a he's not super young prospect. He's a bit older. So I mean, if you're going to go this year, you're going to you know have Molina do his normal you know catching duties. I think it's when when it comes to the end of the year, going into next year more so, uh, barring injury from Molina, uh, I think you have to sit down with Molina and say, hey, you know, we want you back and we'll sign you to an extension through, you know, another year or two. Yeah. Two more years after this year. I think he said he wanted to play two. And just say, look, (laughs) look, look, Yachty, we love you, but we got to start making room for this young kid. So I think it's kind of more of a thing that's going to happen next year. And if I was the GM of the Cardinals, I would just say, look, we we need you. We want you. But next year when you sign, you are not going to be catching, uh, you know, 150 games or whatever. You might, you might be a hundred games and or 90 games, but, and we're going to implement Kisner a lot more. Yeah. That's kind of how I would handle it. Now Molina being the the legacy that he is, you know, and it's understandable. You know, he could say, well, if I'm playing, I'm playing. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't want, I don't want a bunch of, I don't want to be sitting out in that. So it's kind of, I, I, it's a delicate situation. I would imagine well, for the Cardinals to try to handle uh, Molina, but that's, well, you know, if, what, if you're not going to do it, then trade Kisner. Then yeah. What's the, what's the point of having? Yeah, him, just know? give him the Carson Kelly treatment and tra- trade him for 
for the best uh, thing commodity you can get. And there is another young catcher in the in the pipeline. I think the number five or six prospect in the Cardinal system is another catcher who's only nineteen, named Ivan Herrera. But um, no, I, the other the other kind of thing that's funny about this is you know, and I totally agree with what you're saying. But then it's also like, what are what's one of the things that makes Yachty so great? Well, it, it's exactly the opposite of what we're talking about. It's like the guy that that wants to be out there. He wants to be, you know, basically die in a Cardinal uniform. He wants to be out there day in and day out, like just giving his entire career to this organization. So it's like that's one of the things that makes Yachty so great. And then, and then, but then, yeah, but then you're looking at a scenario where the best thing for the organization might be for him to kind of take a little bit of a step back and not play as much and allow, you know, another, you know, allow the next uh, generation to kind of blend in. And, and I, again, I also think, and this would be part of the sell job with Molina. If, if, you know, if I'm the GM, like you were saying, um, is that, you know, look, I think Yachty, we're, you're going to be able to get more out of yourself. You're going to be fresher. You're going to, your bat's going to be stronger if you're getting a bit more time. Uh, so yeah, now then let's, um, let's just quickly touch on the outfield before we finish up the baseball portion of, uh, the podcast today. I mean, the outfield, I did a whole hour with Tara Wellman of birds on the black. In fact, I think it was about an hour and five minutes just on the outfield. Um, of course we did go back and look at some, uh, decision-making in years past, but, uh, what, let me, let me just ask you this question. If, if you are Mike Schilt, you know, Scott Hetzer is a manager, knowing what you know, what's your, who, who do you kind of roll out first as your, your first three outfielders? Uh, and then obviously you would reserve the right as manager to, you know, make adjustments based on performance, but who would you, you know, forget about what you think the Cardinals might do? Who would your three guys be? Uh, I'd start the rookie immediately, Lane Thomas. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of in the point where um, – I'm sorry, not Lane Thomas. You uh, mean Carlson. Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. He's got all the hype. He is league-wide thought of as one of the top outfield prospects in Major League Baseball. Yeah. you got a team with question marks. you got a team that needs offense. And you got Harrison Bader sitting there that I think everybody can agree on. He's got some attributes, attributes, um, but uh, why are we why are we holding this guy back? Let's play him, see what he's got, let him fight through it, let him go through the ups and downs as a rookie. I mean, if this is your future, let's put him in motion. So, yeah. I think I'd go with um, like a Dylan Carlson. Uh, Dexter Fowler and Tyler O'Neill. Really? So you would go? You would go Fowler? Well, because um, I'm with you. I'm with you on. Yeah. Uh, I would go Carlson and I would go O'Neill. Uh, that would be. But who, t- you, who are you playing over Fowler? Well, I would. For me, I would actually go Lane Thomas because um, I would like to see what he can do. I'd like to watch Lane Thomas for a month or two and just compare him to what I've seen from Harrison Bader. Cause I mean, Lane Thomas is a center fielder. He's generally thought to not be quite as good of a defensive center fielder as Bader, but Bader's elite. So that's, that doesn't mean Thomas is bad, 
But then, you know, there's a lot of intrigue about Thomas's bat that, that it could potentially be more consistent and better than Bader. So I, and I get like, I'm only talking about what we would do because the reality of just sitting Dexter or is a whole different thing. If we're talking about what the Cardinals will do, what Schilt will do. But if it's me, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I think I would go Lane Thomas, um, uh, flanked by O'Neill and Carlson. That would be, that would be my three. I mean, I, I could go along with that. I'm not going to tell you that I that I totally disagree with it. Um, I would definitely have a short lease on, on Fowler. Um, yeah. It wouldn't be something where – but, you know, we're talking about what we would do. In reality, you know, when your guy's getting paid $17 million a year, he's going to have a lot longer leash than, you know, you or I or a lot of the other fans would, uh, would want to give. But, yeah, yeah uh, Lane Thomas is definitely an intriguing, intriguing player. So uh, I could go along with that. Fowler is – it's going to be interesting because what there's sort of three scenarios. It's like, well, if he's really struggles, you got to believe that you know the Cardinals would curtail his playing time. I don't know how long they give him. If it's a month, if it's six weeks, but and then of course there's Fowler having just a complete you know retro. But what I'm kind of, you know, then that would be great too, uh, of course, if he was just really doing well. I mean, of course, I'm not going to complain about that. What I'm worried about is he kind of just sits in that middle area where he's not horrible, but, you know, he's not great either. He's sort of just sitting around as a league average player like he was last year. But because of the contract, because of his personality, because of sort of it seems like he and Schilt have a real good relationship. And, I mean, I like Mike Schilt, but. That, that's the that's the thing that that worries me is he sort of just sits in the middle there and then yet we got a whole other year of of Fowler getting all these at bats while guys like Dylan Carlson perhaps don't. Yeah, Fowler's that guy that can be. He's not going to be terrible. He's not going to be great. He's just going to kind of be meh. You know. Yeah. One of those types. He's not going to. But that's what I'm afraid of. Out of the lineup and he's not going to. Show that he should be on there every yeah. day, and that's you're probably right. All right. Well, listen, we have about 20 minutes left together scheduled, and so here's the if if uh, anyone listening, if you're really only here for the cardinal chatter and cardinal conversation, I uh, will not be offended if you decide to just uh, pause or click off the old podcast at this point, but. Uh, Scott and I often engage in conversation about some of our favorite TV shows of all time and like new shows that we're watching, you know, Hey, have you, have you checked this out yet? Whether it be Netflix or any other type of show. And, um, I did a little exercise on the podcast. Uh, one, one that I had done alone, uh, which, you know, I think only about 15 or 20 people listen to, but, uh, I did one where I basically I saw something online where if you took your top four shows and you had to eliminate one, so it wasn't, it wasn't just a classic like ranking. Oh, let me rank my, you know, my top four. It was, it was, you had to eliminate one. And I took it a step further and I said, well, when I, when we say eliminate, it would have to be one that the way that I, the, the rationale I use is that it would be one that, you never could rewatch because let's, it would have to be one that you, you know, throughout the rest of your life, you, you could never go back 
and rewatch that particular series. And so for me, the four that I had gone through, and I'm not going to go through my whole rationale, but because we're, I want to hear yours and, and kind of what you're thinking, but the four I had run through were uh, the Sopranos, Breaking Bad, The Wire, and um, uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. And those were the four that I had kind of, um, you know, put up. And I ended up, uh, I think I eliminated, see, now I can't even remember, it's terrible, but I think I eliminated The Wire in the end. Um, in fact, yes, I know that's what I did. I eliminated the, so of those, uh, four, the wire is the one that I said that I would, you know, eliminate and never be able to watch again. Now, I, like I said, I had a long rationale for each of those shows and why I ended up in the end. And I might get into some of that. I might repeat some of that as we kick this around, but what, uh, I guess, Uh, I guess, give me your, yeah, go ahead. No, mine were pretty much the same as yours. Um, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. But I have, I, I know you tried to get me on the wire. I started, I think I watched maybe six or seven episodes. Um, I don't know why I just couldn't get it going in that. Um, but my fourth would be Entourage. Yeah. And I love that Entourage. <laughs> that Johnny Drama is <laughs> somebody, he's one of the funniest characters. Yes, he, he really is. Uh, in TV, I mean. Well, then you throw uh, Ari on top of it too. So. Oh, Ari! Well, yeah, Ari is. I mean, he's got Ari might have some of the best like one-liners of in TV history. I mean, yeah. it is. If if anybody that knows that show knows Ari and some of the stuff he says is just off the wall and hilarious. Um, but out of those four, I'm probably dropping Game of Thrones. Yeah. Now I didn't um, go ahead. Go ahead. Why? Yeah. Why would you drop Game of Thrones? It was such a good show, and and really, and maybe it's the bad taste in my mouth from the last season that I hated, um, and the way that they ended it. Just, I just loved all. I just liked the other shows. As far as Breaking Bad was, just phenomenal. It, it, you're splitting hairs at this point, but yeah. um, Entourage was so well done, but also the comedy factor. It was so funny. Yeah. And if I'm going to have to rewatch a show, you know, I want to have a little, uh, little comedy involved. So I would keep Entourage for that, just for that aspect alone. Yeah. Um, the only thing, my only thing I hate about Entourage is only 30 minute episodes. They yeah. weren't hour. Yeah. So, uh, but Breaking Bad was so well done. So same with Sopranos, just Game of Thrones. I don't know. I guess maybe with, with Game of Thrones, the storyline was so uh, deep. So maybe, but maybe that would be a an actual factor that I should probably watch. <laughs> a lot of stuff I pick up on, but yeah. sometimes it became so much with Game of Thrones with all the different families and all you know. So sometimes it was a little could be a little hard to follow or to remember, you know, what this family did with this family. So. Um, that's like I said, splitting hairs, but I would probably get rid of Game of Thrones and uh, keep the other uh, other three. I um, I I kept Game of Thrones, and I mainly because, and I and I agree with you. The last season left a very bad taste, and I defended it at first, but the more and more I thought about it, I it really was just rushed, and this was not well done that final season. But and I've actually. 
decided to go back and rewatch the whole series. Now I've got bogged down a little bit. I think I made it up to like season three. And then now it's been like, I don't know, two or three weeks that I haven't kept up with, kept up with it. But uh, the reason that I, that I kept it ultimately was just, there are certain episodes of game of Thrones that are just so iconic and so yeah, battle and, and so, so battle good, so good. You're right. You're and right. that I just, I just couldn't, you know, I could not eliminate it because even like in, in the rewatch, I, um, I watched that episode of the Battle of the Blackwater where like they, they kind of like light that wildfire on fire in the bay and that whole, yeah. that whole battle. And then you think about like that the battle on the wall where the giants are like rushing the, the wall. And then uh, the Battle of the Bastards and just some of the, and even like the, what the, um, the fight to the death for the, for the, the mountain and the viper, oh, that, the that, yeah, that was a great scene. Which you I know, saw, you guys laying on the force, put, 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 the, put the stake in the guy's chest and end it. You always got to be playing around. Yeah. Who gave the order? What's it you? Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's why I couldn't eliminate it though. It's just that, there's too many episodes of Game of Thrones that are just like I couldn't imagine like not being able to go back and watch uh, those scenes or those episodes. Um, now it's interesting, you know. Oh, I, if if I, well, I was just gonna say with if Entourage was in mine over, you know, if I were to put because I love Entourage as well, and if I were to put that in to my mix rather than The Wire, I wonder if I would have came up with the same decision. But I just don't. I wanted to say one. Quick, well, go. You go ahead and say what what you were gonna say just then. I was just, I was just gonna I was gonna see just from like Entourage, Breaking Bad, Sopranos. Like, just what what are some of your kind of scenes or characters or moments that you know were hilarious to you or that were uh, oh. something that you think is so good about the shows? God. <laughs> so you... I, I, for me, Entourage is when they're <laughs> they're at some they find out there's some like furry convention or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know the one you're talking about. It's over and like meets this girl at her house. And he's, he's in a funny costume. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's hilarious. Yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Um, I have to, God, with entourage, there's just way too many to, cause you know, the, obviously the show is comedy based. Um, I love the episode for entourage my favorite episode was the it was called two days in the valley where they're going or days in the valley or something like that where uh aquaman had just uh released and they're trying to find like a movie theater to watch it in and there ends up being like a blackout during the movie so like they're trying to like get back to i guess you know to los angeles greater los angeles and there's like bad traffic so these like high school kids like find you know, uh, Vince and all the gang. And they're like, Hey man, you want to come to a graduation party? And like, they go to this like high school party and it's just <laughs> like, you know, of course these kids are all freaking out. It, it's just a, that episode to me was probably the, the most classic episode that I can recall off the top of my head. Yeah. And the breaking bad one. I love when, uh, he, he gets all pissed off Walter, Walter White chucks that pizza <laughs> up on top of the roof and, and still to this day they say that house people throw pizzas on it i know i heard this i read that somewhere as well they um you know 
that was a, you know, Breaking Bad, it wasn't a whole lot of comedy, but that was certainly, that was certainly one of them. Um, But then in terms of Breaking Bad too, though, like there are scenes where just, I mean, where he, where he goes in and uh, like throws down that chemical to the ground where it, I forget the, the what was the guy's name, but um, it was kind of where he first became Heisenberg. He kind of yeah. he goes into that like lair of the drug dealer, and you know he has that one piece. He's like, you know, this isn't this isn't meth. This is you know such and such uh, com- uh, compound. And he's like, you know, if I if I throw this to the ground, it's going to cause an explosion. And he and he actually does it. Yeah, and he kind of walks out. And, He's kind of got bleeding a little bit. He just—that's he, kind of where he transformed into Heisenberg, and that, that's an iconic scene. And then well, some I of, love when he goes to talk to his wife. I mean, you know, he's like, he's kind of telling her, he's like, "I am the what? What, what was the? I am the guy who knocks, or I'm the one who knocks." Yeah, I am. I am the. Da- I am the danger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great speech as well, and um, that those are. The thing that also that I mentioned about Breaking Bad on the previous podcast is I feel like more so than probably any other show I can think of, I just feel like the arc of that show was perfect. There was there were no wasted storylines. There was there was no kind of episodes or seasons where you're kind of just like, well, then, you know, nothing really happened. That's nothing really going on. Like, when are they going to wrap this storyline up or when are they, you know, this storyline I don't really care about. I just felt like Breaking Bad had this perfect arc where there just weren't any really like storylines that went nowhere. Everything was always kind of on the train towards, you know, his rise. And then, and then of course his fall uh, at the end, I just felt like the, you know, they say like the story arc of a, of a TV show. I felt like Breaking Bad was just perfect. I think they had it mapped out from the beginning. They knew exactly where they wanted to go and exactly where they wanted it to end. And it just executed perfectly. I totally agree. And then also with Breaking Bad too, with how good it was, you know, you got a lot of these shows on HBO for Entourage, for instance, you know, they're able to, some people would call it crutch, even with comedy of, you know, making lewd jokes, sex jokes, you know, dropping F-bombs left and right. Breaking Bad was, you know, they had minor cussing, but yeah. it was a show that was done so well that didn't, it just, it, they never had to use that, you know, cuss yeah. sex as a, as, and it still captured you, you know, it, it was still a, the show was able to be done so well without any of that stuff, which is, you know, the, a lot of the great shows we talk about are HBO, so they're able to kind of go over that line. Yeah. Breaking Bad with the restrictions of it, you know, uh, not being on something on HBO. It was, I, I kind of found it more, I don't know, intriguing that they were able to make a show that good without having all that extra stuff that, you know, a lot of, a lot of shows or movies put into it kind of as the wow factor, but Breaking Bad never had to. Yeah. It was just great on its own. Sure. Let's, um, before we finish up, let's just take a minute uh, to appreciate The Sopranos because we didn't really talk about that at all but now one thing that i had said about the sopranos actually in in direct uh directly against what i just said about breaking bad is that there were some of those kind of like lost episodes of sopranos and some lost storylines that just kind of never got resolved or 
never really seemed to make sense in the full story. And also a few episodes of Sopranos where it was just like, uh, you know, that was kind of a dud. But uh, the thing that I had talked about was the Sopranos is, you know, just I'm not I've never been in a play. I don't know. I don't know shit about acting, but I know that I watch a lot of different TV shows and movies. And like to me, when Sopranos, like the acting performance of James Gandolfini, you know, of course, who has passed, but. The acting performance that he did as Tony Soprano was just, to me, one of the most cap- one of the most captivating, one of the best acting performances. And that's really I mean, when you think about Sopranos, uh, that's what just draws me so much. I mean, to him and to that show, like he was just so amazing. And you could even throw in his wife. I mean, their dynamic, uh, Carmela. I mean, that that the acting of that show was just phenomenal. It really was, and somebody's seen it. You know, that was a show that was really serious a lot of times, but there was a lot of funny. Stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, almost like almost like it wasn't um, it wasn't like a ba-dum-bum kind of, you know, comedy. It was a, it would be a Subtle. serious moment, and yeah. a lot of them happened with Paulie. Yeah. Um, like him and Christopher, you know, when they're in that, that van, they're stuck in that van in the <laughs> yeah. wintertime with that, trying to uh, get that, kill that Russian. Yeah. And what's he say? Something like they were like eating ketchup packets, and the guy was like a he was like, like a, 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 a CIA, but he was like a Russian uh, special agent or something. Yeah, special agent, and then but he was also like an interior decorator. Came up, and he's like, I was like an interior decorator too. <laughs> Stuff like that. It was just there was uh, a lot of there was a lot of funny moments, especially with Paulie. I mean, he was kind of the he was well, kind of that guy that would would make you laugh during the show a lot of times that examples that example is perfect because a lot of the humor uh, in sopranos was exactly that where like they would kind of butcher the the language somehow they would like misspeak or miss some kind of like saying that they would like say it the wrong way or some word that they would like misuse and obviously like it's done intentionally to kind of show these guys are not necessarily like the most well-educated guys in the world but of course they're they're wise guys you know and but they would they would misuse phrases or kind of not know the meaning of a word. Like that was some of the best humor that was well, like embedded in that I show. I couldn't help myself. I had to look it up real quick, and I I won't do it justice if you're if you not watching it. But they're like on the phone. I just remember they're on the phone, and Tony is calling uh, 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 Paulie, and like the phone reception's really bad. And he's like, uh, Tony Tony says, "Be careful with this guy. He was in the Ministry of of the Interior, killed sixteen chinchillas." Christopher goes, what he said? And Paulie goes, guys, a fucking interior decorator killed, killed 16 Czechoslovakians. And then Christopher goes, interior decorator's apartment looked like shit. <laughs> Just stuff like that, you know. I mean, yeah. Obviously, I'm not doing the acting justice. But, uh, there was plenty of those lines with yeah. that thing. And it was super funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well... Um... Absolutely, just uh, some some great TV there that we're talking about. Um, the uh, well, I tell you what. So you so you ended up you eliminated Game of Thrones then, right? Yep. Okay. I'm still gonna somehow in in our lifetime uh, circle back and try to get you hooked on the wire. I mean that. Uh, I know you said you watched about the first eight episodes, which I'm a little surprised because. For me, looking back on it, like I remember it did take a little while, but I, I think it took me maybe three or four where I was like, oh, do I, is this show really that good? And then 
And then I felt like right around episode four or five, it really started to hit. But um, it, uh, and I'm sure you occasionally have heard from other people, you know, through your through the years that that they do love that show. I mean, it's quite often mentioned by people as one of their favorites. Oh, for sure, absolutely. But uh, all right, well. Scott, I know we talked beforehand before we started recording that uh, we were kind of limited to an hour. So right now we're right at an hour. We're able to hit on a number of different Cardinal concepts. And uh, we also said that uh, we kind of finally wanted to have this little TV conversation. We had kicked it around and we had thought about doing it uh, one of the other episodes, but we ran out of time. So uh, I'm glad we were able to, to get to that. Now, uh as I said at the very beginning, uh, the idea is for, you know, really try to continue to have Scott on as my regular partner and, uh, you know, hopefully try to do that at the rate of about once a week. And But at the same time, uh, please continue to look for other episodes that will be released with, with special guests along with the regular show uh, with Scott. Uh, Scott, any any final words of wisdom or anything else uh you want to mention before we sign off uh no i just uh just thanks for having me on again it was fun talking again going over the cardinals i'm sure in the next uh few weeks we'll we'll chat again once spring spring training gets going a few weeks longer and games start getting played and you know at bats start getting watched and see if carpenter and o'neill are over 56 in the spring and you know go over stuff then so, yeah well we'll uh, We'll, um, I'm sure we'll catch back up soon. If we can't, if we can't hook up next weekend for, to record, we'll definitely look at uh, two weeks from now because, like you said, by then there should be, uh, you know, maybe a handful, seven uh, or ten games or so uh, played in two weeks' time, and maybe some, maybe some early impressions, uh, looking at the numbers and looking at some of the stuff. So sounds good. Um, and for everybody who's made it this far and listened, appreciate it. Um, and look for more episodes to come in the coming days. I do have, uh, I think right now, two interviews or two special guests lined up for the coming week and uh, possibly a third. So uh, please look for those episodes. I'll release those through Twitter. Uh, but also if you find that you're enjoying and liking the podcast, go ahead and just subscribe through you know iTunes or Spotify, whatever you're preferred uh, method is. And uh, thanks for listening.